Good morning, Mission Church of the Nazarene. I'm excited to be with you this morning, and welcome to all those that are worshiping here on the online virtual worship experience at Mission Church here in San Diego. My name is Tony Miller. I'm the pastor here, and uh, I just need to take a moment and pause and just thank all the pastors that's on our team for all the hard work they're doing, our office administrative help, and how everybody's just working their fingers to the bone to make things happen. Those that are leading the, the Bible studies, the small groups, what we call our mission communities, all the Zoom meetings that's happening. I mean, there is a lot of work. And so I just want to just thank our team for doing an awesome job in just preparing us and ministering to us as we gather to break open the bread of life this morning and look at God's Word. In fact, with that, let's go to John chapter 1. We're going to go to John chapter 1. We're beginning at verse 1 through 13. It's a lengthy passage, but uh, I think it's important we spend some time here because we're launching a new sermon series which is called The Search for Significance. The Search for Significance. And I think that's relevant because these are, these are really different times. Obviously, people, there's loss that's going on. There's transition that's happening. I mean, I can imagine some people, as you're tuning in, some people that are maybe, uh, you know, pretty stressed out right now. And so I thought it would be good for us to think about significance. I mean, what brings significance to life? I mean, that's an important question at any time, any chapter of our life, but I think especially right now. So I want to invite you just to open your heart and to listen, whatever the Lord has to say, as we think about significance in life and what really brings uh, eternal uh, value and real significance. So, so go to John chapter 1. We're going to look at John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 13. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light, he came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Let us pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your anointing upon the word today. I thank you, Father, for this revelation of truth, and whether we receive it by our ear, or whether it's our mind that is processing, but especially may it impact our heart. And that, Lord, that in that, as we hear the word today, that we are transformed, that we're made new because of what you have to say to us. And so, Father, I pray that you just open our hearts. May we respond to you, Father. May we glorify you in everything that we do and say. So, Lord, bless this reading, I pray, in Jesus Christ's glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And may God bless the reading of his word. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to begin by saying again, that John is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. And not just because it opens up with a flare, but because it opens up with a flare of truth. And really, that's the whole idea, that scripture is built on the foundation of truth. That's why there's such value, I believe, in the Gospel of John. I mean, identifying that this is John, the son of Zebedee, 
which tells us that he was an eyewitness of the life of Christ. Now imagine that. That this is a guy that experienced watching Jesus, you know, perform his miracles. He watched Jesus walk the road to Calvary. He saw Jesus when he was crucified, when he was resurrected from the dead. I mean, John was a witness, an eyewitness. And, and just as an eyewitness has weight and is important in the course today, so the eyewitness of the life of Christ is important and puts value on this word that we're reading today. So when I know that this is someone that witnessed the life of Christ, I listen up. And I really put a lot of value on it. And so let's begin that way this morning. And in fact, we're going to be, you know, focusing again on this new series called The Search for Significance in three parts, looking at John chapter 1 and John chapter 2. And in the first part, we're looking at really some revelation. You say, well, what what revelation? Well, the revelation of, of who the light is or what this light is. And the light is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. That's part of the revelation or the revelation of the gospel. And remember, the gospel is the revelation of Christ. We defined that as such last week. But the second revelation that we see in the gospel of John is that, that, that God and his gospel, his story of Jesus Christ, the Son, brings to us an abundant life that is available for all. Think of that for a moment, that there, there is this abundant life that is available for all of mankind. That's what, you see, the word promises us this morning that we want to just you know, embrace as we look at, at this passage. Now, this passage is addressing one of the most frequent thoughts that the enemy uses against us. In fact, I need to say this, that, that in the next three weeks, each week I'm going to reveal a lie that the enemy says, or a lie that he wants us to buy into. And the first lie, this is lie number one that the enemy wants us to buy into. This is lie number one. Lie number one is that God does not love you. You see, the enemy wants you to believe that. He wants you to own that. He wants you to walk with that. He wants you to carry it in your spirit that, oh, your life is too poor. Your life is too bad. There are too many issues in your life. There's, there's too much wrong with you or too much sin, however you want to define it. You see, he wants you to buy into this idea that God doesn't love you because you're not worthy. Well, folks, let me say this. God never intended for you to be miserable and broken and emotionally shipwrecked. God never intended you to feel the way that, that we just described and, and for you to be depressed and damaged and have no hope and no future. I mean, that's not the way of God. The way of God is much greater than that. In fact, this book of John gives us evidence that the writer's intent and God's was to take us into the depths of a meaningful and growing relationship with the creator of heaven and earth and his son, Jesus Christ. And folks, that's part of the revelation that there is purpose and there is meaning in life when we meet Jesus Christ as our Savior. In fact, in, in verses 4 and 5 in our text, go back there for just a moment. Look at that. In verses 4 and 5, we read, In Him was life. Think of that. I mean, what comes to mind when you say that statement alone by itself? In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness. Now, just because the Word of God has that phrase, I mean, because that, that phrase is part of the God's Word, it tells us something about God. It tells us that he knows about the darkness that you face. It tells us that God, he has this ability to reach through all the time and all the centuries and all the stuff and the chaos that's happening in the world. And he's a God that is so intimate that he can come into your life and he can understand the darkness that you are facing right now. The darkness of the things that's gone terribly wrong. 
the darkness of your heartache and the woes that you have, the darkness of maybe the sin that, that has been you know, bothering you, God knows about the darkness that you face. Maybe that's the beginning place for us to understand that, that the God in his message for us is a revelation of the truth of, of who God is through his son, Jesus Christ. So God knows about the darkness. And the fact is, as human beings, um, we're messed up. <laughs> I mean, that, that's how this thing begins. We realize that there is this separation between us and God. And if I were to be honest, I'm probably as messed up as any one of us. But yet God does not leave us there. And I mean, that's not the end. And I think what the problem is, we miss it because we start searching for meaning and significance. Remember, we're searching for significance. That's the theme. And I think we start searching for meaning and significance in all the wrong places. And the more we search and the more we try, the more that we realize that we're, we're coming up empty and all of a sudden the dark on the inside continues to grow. And I, I'm not talking about when you find some passion that you're passionate about or, or some hobby that you really love or some trip that you go. I mean, all those things you know, are fun to experience in life, but I'm talking about deep, long-lasting reality of what's happening on the inside. And we realize that nothing really brings the peace that God wants us to have and that God promises us outside of who his son is, and that's Jesus Christ. In fact, we see this happening all over the, you know, all over the planet for those that have wealth, those that maybe are famous, those that have pursued, you know, these other things. And, and the more they have, it seems like the less meaning life has for them. In fact, we, we read about people that then become addicts or even they get to a point, unfortunately, where they end their own life because the darkness has grown so huge and yet they have everything that the world has to offer and they've missed it. They've completely missed it. I mean, so how do we pierce the darkness? I mean, that's the idea for searching for significance, church. How do we pierce the darkness? How, how do we punch a hole in, in the darkness of life? I, I'm enamored right now with the story of uh, Kanye West. I wonder how many know Kanye West, a uh, rapper, singer. Um, a few years ago, and I hope it's okay that I say this, but a few years ago there were some things that he did that I just thought were bad, kind of disgraceful, but... But recently, all of a sudden, something has happened. Something has punched a hole in the darkness for Kanye West's life. And he's all about Jesus. Now, I'm not going to step out on a limb and say I know how the end, how this is going to end. But right now, I know this, that Kanye West is excited about who Jesus Christ is in his relationship with his Father in heaven. And something has pierced the darkness. And wow, what a testimony that is. I'm wondering when was the last time we experienced that? I mean, when was the last time that whatever journey where we're at in life right now, that there is something that has come in and pierced the darkness in such a way that our life is now on fire for Jesus Christ? <laughs> Amen. I believe when we understand, when we discover real significance in life, that's what happens. That, that's really what happens. And in fact, Jesus, when he came to this world, let me say it like this. When Jesus Christ came to this world, do you know that Jesus Christ came for only one reason? You know what that one reason was? So that you might have an abundant life. That's why Jesus Christ came. So that you might have an abundant life in, in him. In fact, in verses 12 and 13, if you have God's word, let's look at that. In verses 12 and 13 of our text, we read, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Folks, you know what that's saying? That's saying that this answer, this significance in life, is not by any design of our own. But this is God's design. This is, this is a, a purpose and a thing that only God can make happen and fulfill in life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10 we read, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. You know what full means? Abundant. He's saying you can have the abundant life. In fact, remember the scripture, the passage, he who hath the Son hath life. He hath life. You know, that abundant life, that, that good life, so to speak. In fact, in John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus likens it to one of the oldest staples that man has sustained life with for centuries, for eons, and it's bread. He says this, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And I imagine myself stumbling around in the desert, dehydrated. I imagine myself, you know, my, my tongue is sticking to the roof of my mouth because I'm so thirsty. And then all of a sudden, somebody hands me this cool, tall, call, excuse me, cool, tall glass of water. And I drink the water, and it comes in, and it refreshes me, and it renews me. That's what Jesus Christ does. That's what happens when we receive Jesus into our life. There is this abundant refreshment that begins to happen because of Jesus Christ being a part of our life. You see, what Jesus Christ is trying to say, I believe in the life that he lived, he's trying to say, hey, you can have a great life. In fact, he, he believed it so much that that's how he lived his life. And, and in fact, I think the Gospel of John is pointing us back to the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they do such a great job of showing us how Jesus lived his life day in and day out. And he didn't live it selfishly. And he didn't live it, you know, building a kingdom, an organization. Jesus Christ lived his life for others. In fact, so much so that he ends up on the cross. For others, for you, and for I. And so it's in the way that he lives this life that we read and, and how we are challenged to have the good life. And that kind of points us to this truth that the good life is living the way that Jesus Christ lived. He, he shows us how to live the good life by, by telling stories clear, crisp, clean stories that, that say that this is the point. In fact, every story that Jesus tells, we call them parables. He is saying, This is how you live the good life. <laughs> Amen. And then Jesus empowers us. To live the good life by sending the Holy Spirit that we might have the power to live like Jesus Christ lived, not in our own strength, not in our own ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon us, we're able to live a life that only the Spirit would empower us and enable us to live. You see, that is the promise in the way that we find significance in life, and that is with Jesus Christ and his involvement in our life. Amen. We can have the, the good life. Um, I guess I, I want to ask the question, who wants to have, who wants to live a bad life? I mean, who wants to live a life badly with no hope or no future? And, uh, you know, it, it's silly to ask the question. But I think that there are different perceptions or different understandings of what the good life is like. I think, uh, or about, some people might think the good life is about wealth. Some people think the good life might be about this peace, this indescribable peace, and, oh, that's the good life. Some people might think that the good life is about fame. You know, but we've seen so many times over and over again that um, that all of that just falls short. In fact, um, I want to push pause for a moment. Because when you think about it, logically, God is the one that created life. So, 
Don't you think the way that God would define a good life would be important to us, that it would matter? I believe it does. In fact, um, God makes it absolutely clear that the good life, the blessed life, is the righteous life that we experience in Christ. In fact, we go to Psalm chapter 1, and in the overarching idea, there's some observations we can make according to the Word of God and how God would define the good life for us. And that would be that a person, well, by the way, the good life is the life that's blessed. That's what the Scripture would say, first off, that the good life is the life that is blessed. And and we would look at Psalm chapter 1 and we'd observe that the person that God blesses, because that's the good life, right? The person that God blesses does not conform to the patterns of this world. The, the person that God blesses does not conform to the patterns of evil, whatever translation that you're reading there. The second observation is that the person that God blesses is affectionately preoccupied with the word of God. Now, I think we've got a pretty good start because we're talking about searching for significance in life and discovering that means that we come to the Word and what Jesus, His life and His teachings, you know, leave us. And part of that is that the Word of God has priority, right? And that 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 relationship that we have with Christ and the way that we learn to live our life out as Christ lived His life out starts bringing to us in baby steps the significance in life that we're searching for. Amen. So what would I say? I would say that the Gospel of John wants us to discover the blessed life, to have a great life. And then he ties it, this great life idea, to realizing that God sees significance in you. That you are significant to God. But the problem is, I think, is, as I understand, is the way that we define significance. Because sometimes I think significance, we it's all tied up in in our achievements or the goals that we set or it's tied up in the success ladder and the higher we climb up the ladder you know seemingly the more value we have in life and the better that we feel about ourselves but what I, I want to ask you the, this morning especially in the midst of this COVID-19 thing is what if we wake up and we find out that the ladders lean against the wrong wall what if we wake up and the titles no more and our securities are no more and the things that we have are gone I wonder what would we do then? I mean, with this idea of seeking, you know, significance in life. You see, God calls us, I guess what I want to say, here's the baseline today. God calls us to a far more stable basis for significance. He wants us to establish our identity and the fact that we are his children. He wants us to understand that we are created by Him, for Him, to bring glory to the Father, being reminded, again, that He who hath the Son, right? He who hath the Son hath life. I I, I was moved when I came across the story of a a wealthy man and a son that collected rare art, and they enjoyed, you know, sitting around and talking about the art, and they're kind of affluent. And, And it was a time many years ago when a war we're familiar with broke out, a conflict called Vietnam, and his son was drafted, and he had to go to war. Well, he he was a remarkable soldier. He did remarkable things. In fact, he was a hero. He died a hero. He was killed. And, of course, the father was devastated. But he died a hero, and so about a month after he had received news that his son had been killed in battle, a soldier showed up on his doorstep at Christmas time. He hears a knock at the door. He opens the door, and hears the soldier And the soldier said to the father, he said, I'm a friend of your son. In fact, he was carrying me. I'd been wounded to safety when a bullet struck him and hit him in the heart and killed him instantly. And I'm alive today, sir, because of what your son did for me. 
The father just looked at him, didn't know what to say. And then the soldier said, here, I have a package for you. I'm not a very good artist. And so the the father unwraps the package and you can hear the paper, you know, the paper wrinkling and then pulls the string off and he looks at it. It's an it's a portrait of his son. And the soldier said, now, I'm not a very good artist, but I had a chance to paint this. And, and the father was moved as he locked eyes with the eyes of his son in the portrait because it seemed like the soldier was able to really capture his son's personality. So the father's eyes just welled up with tears as he looked at the portrait of his son. The father treasured. He said, can I pay you something? And the soldier said, oh, no, this is the least I can do because your son saved my life. No, it's a gift. And so the soldier turned around and left. And the father... He went over and he placed the portrait of his son on the mantle above his fireplace. Interesting thing is when people came to visit, you know the first piece of art that he showed people? It wasn't those Picassos and Van Goghs and those expensive paintings that he had collected. The first portrait he had showed people was the portrait of his son. Some years passed and the father died. And at the death of his father, that son was the only son that he had, so there were no heirs. There was an auction for the estate, and they were auctioning off these, these valuable pieces of art. So there was kind of a stage that was set up in the living area, and there's a podium, and the auctioneer had you know, gathered people together. There was rows of chairs. People had their bidding numbers. The auctioneer started the auction, and there on the stage was an easel with the portrait of the sun. And he says, we're going to begin the auction today by bidding on this portrait of the owner's son. And who'll give me ten dollars? Who'll give me ten dollars? Anybody? Who'll give me ten dollars? Silence, uncomfortable. No silent. No no noise at all. No bids, until someone said they yelled from the back. Hey, bring on the real art. Let's look at the other pieces of art. No, we got to do this. Who'll give me ten dollars? Who'll give me ten dollars? And then a man in the back slowly raises his hand. He says, "I'll give you ten dollars. I'll give you ten dollars." It was the gardener, the man and his son, that said he had to give you $10. And, okay, we have $10, who'll give me 20 We have $10, who'll give me 20 Nobody says anything. Somebody finally yells again, hey, why don't we get on to the other art? Let's get to the good stuff. Who'll give me $20? We got $10, who'll give me $20? Sold for $10. Now the auctioneer shuffled some papers around the podium, and they looked up kind of nervously, looked up again. He said, folks, I'm sorry to tell you, this is the end of today's auction. People looked at each other and some threw their, their bidding numbers down. And some got up, you know, mumbling kind of out loud. People were not happy. I mean, all they did was they auctioned, auctioned off that, that one portrait. Well, after everybody was gone and the portrait of the sun had been wrapped up in paper and string, the uh, gardener came forward with a $10 bill and gave the $10 bill to the auctioneer. And the auctioneer said, well, here's your painting. He handed the painting to the, to the gardener. And he said, by the way, sir, he said, according and per the owner's instructions, the one who purchases the son, the one who accepts the son, receives all the other treasure, receives all the other paintings. It's all yours. I think that's what the Gospel of John is trying to say to us, folks. I think the Gospel of John is trying to say that when we receive the Son and we accept the Son, that all the treasure and all the hope and all the glory of heaven is ours. And significance, the beginning of significance, comes when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. You see, that's the promise of God. You want to have significance in life? Then begin with walking with the Son of Jesus Christ, or the Son of Jesus Christ. You know, um, Maybe for some of us that have been walking with the Lord some time, maybe this is a reminder that even 
in these difficult times that we're facing right now that Jesus Christ is enough. Maybe that's all you need to be reminded of, that Jesus Christ is enough, that Jesus Christ is our hope, that he is our answer. And maybe this this reminder is just to bring focus and balance to your life once again. For for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've ever thought about Jesus as your Savior. Well, I want to invite you to pray with me today. Invite all of us. Let's just worship God, thank him for his son, and accept him as really the answer for life and the answer for significance. Let's pray. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, speaking to us boldly and, Lord, just reminding us this revelation of truth and light, that Jesus Christ is our Messiah and that significance begins with him. No matter what the world has to offer, real meaning in life and value begins with Christ. And so, Father, I pray for that one right now that's whispering this prayer with me. I pray that you'd hear their prayer, that you'd answer that prayer, and they'd find real significance in life through you, Jesus. Father, thank you for walking with us. Thank you, God, for protecting your church universal around the world today. I pray for those that are hurting and those that are sick, that you would heal them, that have the coronavirus. I pray for those that are homeless. I pray for those that are destitute. I pray that, Father in heaven, that our life would reflect the life that Jesus showed us, that we could live this great life out as Christ has promised. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And God bless you, Mission Church.